We're starting a brand new series called First Things First. And if you've been around for a while, you'll know we actually did a series like this uh, a couple of years ago where we talked about priorities and what the Bible has to say about that and, and what it means to put first things first. Um, and in this series, we're, it really begs the question, what is the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? And if you can answer that question, you're going to find it's your priorities, right? Whatever the answer to that question is, is going to be your priorities. Now, it may be different. You're, you might say your priorities are this, and the answer to that question might be a different thing, and that's a whole different problem we've got to tackle. But that's pretty common for, I think, a lot of us, where we might think one thing, but the actuality of what's actu- or the, the truth about what is actually the most important thing in our lives would reveal something about our priorities. And actually, we see this in the Bible. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 6. This is Paul talking here. He says, just because something is technically legal, just because I can do it, doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. If we don't set our priorities based on what we value, what we hold to be important, someone else will do it for us. We're going to be slave to either our own whims, to, to what is just kind of popping in and out of our attention, uh, uh, or someone else is going to take it upon themselves to set our priorities for us. So we want to do our best as followers of Christ to pay attention to what we are putting first. What are our priorities? And uh, this series is not meant to be like a self-help talk. It's not meant to be like a rah-rah kind of situation or, you know, let's do 2020 right, right? This is much different than this. all about life change because doing more and trying harder is not going to do anything for you. This is all about shifting your priorities and how you think about your life so that you might see actual life change. So in this series, we wanted to frame it a little different. Last time we did this, we did it more topically based, like where we talked about time, we talked about your money. We want to do something a little different this time. So instead of going topically, we're looking at kind of a dichotomy, like a, 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 a structure, a spectrum, if you will, of temporary versus lasting. Okay, temporary versus lasting. And if you think of, you know, pretty much anything, it can fit on that spectrum. Like even like things like you think of paper, right? Okay. So paper could be like super temporary. It could be like a tissue or like toilet paper, which we hope is temporary, right? Or it could be something that, you know, maybe like a love letter someone gave to you a long time ago, like your spouse, and you've held on to it for years. Or maybe that, uh, the paper your diploma is printed on, right? Or your marriage certificate or, or things like that. It's the same material, but it's a much different context depending on whether it's temporary versus lasting. Or maybe like a sand castle, right? Very temporary, you toss it up, it's going to fall down. Versus like a marble statue, right? Temporary versus lasting. And in life, what it comes down to is we have to choose between what's temporary and what is lasting. And we're making investments with our choices. And so the, what you'll find as we go deeper and deeper in this series is that we're making decisions, we're making choices every single day to whether we're investing in things that are temporary that will not stand the test of time, that will last as long as it lasts and then go away, instead of investing in things that are lasting. And so our hope during the series is to help shift our attention, shift our focus to investing in those things that are lasting. So uh, uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about <coughs> the idea of our attention, okay, our attention, uh, uh, when it comes to our priorities, and more specifically, in that span of temporary versus lasting, our attention in terms of what we're giving our focus to. And, and more specific, if you're looking at the service guide, you'll see we, ta- we entitled this, uh, The Battle for Your Attention, The Battle for Our Attention. 
And that's because uh, in this world, like, that's one of the main things that we're being clawed at from a million different directions is to get our attention, our shift, our focus into uh, 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 other places. People are vying for it because it's a valuable commodity. It's a valuable commodity. It's also a limited commodity. You can't have... Uh, uh, you know, your attention in five different places. Like if you think back in, in workplaces, you know, years ago, multitasking was like the big thing, right? You remember when that was big and everybody was pushing that? Like I can do five different things at once. Um, and actually, like you stink at doing that. Like humans are really, really bad at that. Like if I try and do this and this and this and this, I just do it all really bad, right? And where the studies are now saying more and more that if we focus in on one thing, if we give our full attention to this one thing while we do it, or this one type, like a batching activity, to where we're doing one kind of thing, right? it's done much more efficiently and much better. It's much uh, more efficient for us to give our full attention to a piece. Um, and there's billions and billions of dollar industries that are dedicated to attention. Advertising. Advertising, when you boil it down, essentially is a business designed to get your attention so that you'll do what they want you to do. So, or so that you'll do a thing, or you'll buy a thing, or whatever it might be. All that, if you watch the Super Bowl, okay, if you're watching the Super Bowl or TV or whatever, today when you watch uh, the game, recognize that as soon as it goes from the game to the commercials, the volume turns up really quickly, right? That's a cheap way of getting your attention, like a loud noise or something gets your attention really quickly, right? You're drawn to it because that's how humans are designed. And so there's a whole business, a whole industry built around getting your attention. And if that's the case, we have to pay attention to what we're giving that to. We have a choice as to what we pay attention to and what we give our attention to, whether things that are temporary or things that are lasting. And now the reason for all this, the reason why it's so important is because we will always act on what we prioritize, that's a pretty simple truth. Like I said earlier, if you answer the question, what's the most important thing, you're going to find those priorities, and you'll find that those things that are your priorities, you're acting on them, right? You're doing those things. If you prioritize this, you're going to, to, you're going to do things that uh, put that first, that put that in your schedule, on your calendar, in your day-to-day life. To be more specific, I think that we will always act on what has our attention. If things have our attention, we're going to act on them. You know, like if you're at work and you're trying to focus on this thing, but this thing over here has your, it's just in the back of your mind, you're not really going to be able to do this thing well until you accomplish this, right? Or if you're at home uh, and you've got the kids around you or something, and you're trying to clean this over here and you get mommy, 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 what happens? You turn your attention to this because you're going to act on what has your attention. Does that make sense? So our attention is incredibly important, and, and we have to be honest, and this is one of the first questions I'll ask you to take home with you this week, because I think there's a little bit of homework involved for for us to really dive into this. And you just need to be honest with yourself, because we can lie to ourselves if we want to, but that's not going to help anything. So be honest and ask yourself this question. What has, what gets, what keeps your attention? Just look at your life. Like, what are the things that get your attention easily? What are the things that keep your attention? What are the things that have your attention right now? Even as I'm talking, you're thinking about that thing, right? And that's okay. I know that's how people work. But what are those things that keep, that get, that have your attention? That's the the baseline. This is where we have to start from because we have to understand how we're designed, how we're built. We're all different. We're all unique. We have to understand how our attention is being drawn. What are the things that are getting, that are keeping, that have your attention even right now? So when we talk about attention, when it comes to the terms of that spectrum, we talked about temporary versus lasting, we're going to talk about the difference between temporary pleasure, okay, versus lasting fulfillment. Temporary pleasure 
versus lasting fulfillment. Giving our attention to things that provide temporary pleasure versus giving our attention to things that provide lasting fulfillment. Just, I kind of wrote a couple of these down. Uh, first one, maybe uh, like if you're trying to work on a project, you're trying to get ahead at work, right? Maybe you're working super late. It's like midnight, now it's one, now it's two. You're working on that project and you're kind of, uh, this is going to be fine. I'm going to focus on what I got to get done. And it gives you that temporary hit of like, ah, I got ahead for the week. Like you might be thinking about doing that tonight, right? Before, uh, before you've got uh, work tomorrow morning, right? So you, that's, that's not a bad thing, but it's that temporary pleasure hit versus Maybe spending that time with your spouse before bed and actually connecting with that person you, you care about. Work's going to be there tomorrow, and we can invest in something that's more fulfilling and lasting today. Maybe this one's a little more heavy-handed, but I don't care because we're in church, so y'all can deal with it. Maybe it's the difference between uh, temporary pleasure would be like binging on Netflix, right? That thing that just came out. Like there's a fashion show that just came out that looks kind of fun. Whatever, if you're into that kind of thing. And maybe you watch all 15 episodes or whatever, right? But... Maybe you could invest time in, like, reading your Bible. That'd be kind of cool, right? I talk to people all the time, and they say, you know, I, I just don't have time. I don't have time to read my Bible if I just had more hours in the day. Or maybe if you didn't, like, watch 14 hours of The Witcher on Netflix, you could have, like, maybe read your Bible for a quick second, right? I mean, that's the truth, is, is we say we don't have time for things, when actually what, what you mean to say is, I don't prioritize this over this. Nod your head if you're with me. Uh, maybe it could be like, for, this is one for me, maybe like scrolling your phone with Instagram or Facebook or something, just like mindless. Like for me, I have this thing, I don't even know what it is, but like I like to be connected, like I like to know what's going on, you know, and I don't know what that is about me, but I'll just find myself with the phone in my hand just scrolling for no reason versus temp- the temporary pleasure of that of being connected, of knowing what's going on versus like being on the ground with my kids and like playing with them after work. You see what I'm saying? It's a choice that we make between something that's giving us temporary pleasure versus a lasting fulfillment. So again, I ask the question, what is the most important thing in your life? Because that's going to help show us what your priorities are, and it helps us make the difference, or it helps us clarify the difference between the temporary pleasure and the lasting fulfillment, the choices that we make. What are we investing in? What is the most important thing in your life? And maybe you need to flip that question, because you're, you, you kind of have answered it and you don't like the answer to it, and maybe even more helpful to ask, what does God say should be the most important thing in your life? What does God say about that? And, and I, I mean, I'll talk to folks too, and they'll be like, you know, I just wish God would tell me his will for my life. I wish he just like would give me a letter and like, or shoot me an email, and boom, this is what you got to do with your life, or whatever it might be. And we're lucky enough that we have this thing called the Bible, right? And then sometimes in the Bible, God will speak directly to issues of our heart and issues of our life. And in this case, when it comes to priorities, God's incredibly clear about a couple things. So let's dive in and take a look here. This is starting in, this is in Deuteronomy 6, uh, starting in verse 5. It says this, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So love God first. Before all things, your priority should be loving God. And not just loving God, but loving God in a way to where you're loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, in all your strength. So it's, it's an encompassing, it's an overwhelming kind of love. That's what should be one of our priorities. That should come first. We also see this in Matthew 6. It says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So it's not seek the kingdom of Chris. It's not seek the kingdom of my kids. It's not seek the kingdom of my job, of success, of whatever. It's seek the kingdom of God above all else. So love God and seek the kingdom of God above all else. We're starting to see these priorities fall in line of putting God 
first, of seeking his kingdom, his things first. And when we talk about lasting fulfillment, I think there's a passage in John that really speaks perfectly to this, of giving our attention, what it looks like to give our full attention to God. And I think it looks like this. This is John 15 says, remain in me and I will remain in you. You give me your attention and I will give it right back to you. That's relationship. That's that one-on-one that's giving, you, that's giving your full attention to God. That is lasting fulfillment. He continues on. He says, For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain with me. So honestly, even if you choose to not give me your attention, you're not going to get any of that stuff done anyways. None of that stuff's going to matter. It's all going to be temporary pleasure. It's not going to be lasting fulfillment. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Let's continue on. It says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Reiterating, it doesn't even matter. If you don't give me that attention, if you don't fix your eyes on me, you're not going to get that stuff done anyways. Verse 7 says this, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for what, anything you want and it will be granted. If there's a picture of lasting fulfillment, this is it. It's that if you give me your attention, if you fix your eyes on me, it doesn't turn into a genie situation where you get three wishes and I'll grant that you want this and you want this and you want this and then move on. No, the point of giving your full attention to God, that you remain in him and his words remain in you, the result of that is you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted, that you will be fulfilled. And the, the, the thing here is not that because it's not a genie situation, it's because your attention is on him and not on you. Your attention is on the kingdom of God and not on you. So the things that you desire, the things that you seek, the things that you are passionate about are different when you fix your attention and your eyes on him so that when you ask him for anything, he wants to fulfill that. He wants to provide a relationship and a context for lasting fulfillment. And when I think about this kind of attention, I, I get a picture in my mind. I've got two kids. I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And my four-year-old does this thing. So, like, uh, I, again, I have a bad habit. We're going to talk a lot about this today. I'll, I'll just air my stuff. So I have this thing where, like, I, I'll be with him, but I'm not really with him. You know what I mean? And I have my phone in my hand. Y'all nod your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you're with somebody, but you're not really with somebody, right? And so I'm, I'm kind of talking, and Addie's doing something, and I'm just kind of scrolling. And if she's doing something that she wants my attention for, like she drew a picture, or she's doing a dance move, or she's like, Dad, listen to this. Like, what, what do kids do? You know? What do what they grab your head, right? They, grab, they snap you. They're like, no, dad, look, dad, listen. You know what I'm saying? If you have that happen, you can't not know what that's like. They say, no, folk, like, look at me. Give me your attention. And that's what I think about when I think about what God's saying here of the remaining me and our remaining you, of give me your attention, of love God first, of seek the kingdom first. It's that kind of attention. It's not a if you want to. It's not, my daughter's not saying, hey, dad, when you get around to it, can you pay attention to this picture? Or, hey, dad, oh, uh, you're busy. Okay, I'll come back. That's not how kids work. It's now. Look, dad, check this out. I feel like it's the same kind of experience. It's that kind of attention grabbing so that we might fix our eyes on something that provides lasting fulfillment. But what happens when we don't put God first? What happens when we don't put God first? Fortunately, we see that a lot in the Bible because we're people and we're not great and we mess up. And the Bible's full of people just like us who act in the same way, who have experienced similar things that we have and have still gotten it wrong. So what happens when we don't put God first? This is a picture of what happens. This is in Exodus 20. This is a delivery of the, the Ten Commandments, the first two right here. 
God couldn't be much clearer when, he, when he's given us this picture. He says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. That's going to be important. We're going to come back to that. Uh, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. So don't have any gods before me. Don't have any other God. Nothing. There can't be anything else besides me. Oh, also, don't make any idols that you might put in front of me. Because it, it, not, not a bird, not a, a, in the sky, nothing you can see, nothing you can touch, anything, nothing. Don't put anything, no other gods with me, and don't put any other idols above me. Let's continue on verse 5. It says, you must not bow down to them or worship them for, and I love this. It's, I mean, he couldn't have been more clear for us. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's just owning it. He's like, I'm a jealous God, and you will have nothing else before me, because I am Yahweh. I am the only God. He said, just God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Our God is jealous for our attention. He wants our full attention. And what happens when we don't focus on him is we put ourselves into a, a position or a relationship where we're directly in conflict with the first two things that he says. They weren't the ten suggestions or the ten commandments. These are things he's putting in our way because he understands exactly who we are. He understands exactly how we tick as people. And he's saying these things in front of us. Don't put stuff in front of me because if you do, you're going to screw it up. That's what he's saying here. Don't do this. Do not put any other God before me and do not make any idols. Now, idols is the key word here. Idols is the key word. And I wrote this statement to, to kind of help us out. Uh, it says this, anything that steals our attention from God, anything, uh, anything that steals our attention from what matters most, which is God, will lead to idolatry. It will lead to idolatry. It doesn't matter what it is, it's going to lead to idolatry. Okay? Anything that steals our attention from God. Uh, and I think what is helpful here, because I, I missed this class in high school, I don't know if you did, but maybe we should do a little bit of idolatry one-on-one. Uh, because you probably got in your head like, Chris, I don't have a statue on my mantle like, of, a, of a sweet eagle or like a fish or a calf. I didn't like boil some gold down and make like a golden calf in my house. I don't have an idol in my house, so I don't know what you're talking about. I can zone out for the rest of this time. So I think it's important for us to have a little bit of idolatry 101 and contextualize this for us today of what might it look like to have some idols in our lives. And what does the Bible say about us when uh, uh, that comes and creeps into our lives? So this is, again, Paul speaking is in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, starting in verse 1. says, I don't want you to forget. This is the whole point of everything he's about to say. And it's going to come back to a point that I, I'll say in a minute, but he doesn't want them to forget what's happened. He's referencing back to this Exodus passage, those people, the Israelites, right? God's people in the Old Testament. That's who he's talking about. Uh, he doesn't want them to forget that. And the people he's talking to, that Paul's talking to right now, are people who are very familiar with that story. Like, they grew up culturally. It's like stuff they knew. They knew the entire ups and downs. The, they saw God do big things, and they turned from him. And then God did more stuff, and then they turned from him. And this, like, that's just kind of how people are, right? And so they were very, very familiar with that story. And he's reiterating to them, I don't want you to forget. He said, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago, those Israelites... All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through sea on dry ground. Let's, let's hold there for a second. These are people, the Israelites, right, to where they had an experience where God traveled with them for a while as a big cloud, so it's like a pillar of fire, right, like a huge miracle, right? And then if that wasn't enough, they also, as they were leaving Egypt, as they were being rescued from Egypt, they had another miracle happen in front of their eyes where they walked on dry ground through a, a, a body of water, 
Like, that's incredible. These are people who, they, it wasn't just like someone heard about this, and then they, they're like passing a story down. These are people who experienced this. Even, it continues on in verse 2, it says this. Uh, it says, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. All of them. This wasn't like Joe had this moment with God, and he's like, guys, y'all got to see, he moves water, and there's this fire cloud, and it's incredible. Like, all these people experienced the same thing together. They all experienced manna being provided for them every single morning. So they had an experience with God that was different and more visceral and more real because that was their experience. He continues on in verse 4. For they drank from the same spiritual rock uh, that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet, yet, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So even though these are people who had the privilege of seeing God move in these incredible ways, like could you imagine, right? They saw these things, and yet even though they did that, God still displeased with them because they saw all that, they experienced all that, and they still made idols and still put things in front of God, they chose to turn away from him. Continues on here and says this. These things happened as a warning to us so we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. So these people we read about in the Old Testament who experienced these incredible things, like they saw God move in a way that maybe you've never been able to physically, personally see before, and they still turned and chose their own way. They chose the temporary pleasure of having this thing they could hold, the thing they could control, be what they gave their attention to. They still, they still turned away. And you might be thinking now, like, well, yeah, Chris, but they're dumb. Like, that's stupid. Like, they're stupid people. Like, that, I would never, I could never do that. That's not me. Like, if that, if God, Chris, if I saw waters part and I could walk through it, I'm going to run through walls for Jesus. Like, whatever, man. Like, like, you might be thinking that, but... Paul knows you're thinking that because he knows people, and he said this in verse 12. He said, if you think you are standing strong, then be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. He's saying, you are them. And he's saying to you, you are them and them. You are all these people. We are the same kind of people that they were back then, that, to the original audience that he's speaking to. We are all the same. And if we think we're above this, if we think we're above forgetting what God's done and turning our attention away from him towards the things we can control and the, tempor- the, the things of temporary pleasure for our attention, we are wrong. However, he turns here for some hope. In the next verse, he says this, And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So even though we're going to mess this up, even though we think we might be better than this and and we're not, like we're still going to experience this uh, 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 moment of idolatry in our life time and time again, God's going to provide a way for us to come out of it. Not because we can try harder, don't hear that, because we can be better, don't hear that, It's because God is faithful, and he will provide a way out of that. And he finishes his passage talking about this in verse 22. What do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Kind of echoing what what Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians, right? 
We have the freedom through Christ to do what, what we want to do because he's paid for that freedom with his life, with his sacrifice. However, not everything is good for us. These are not, these things are permissible for us, these temporary pleasures, the things you can do, but are they, are they good for you? Are they worth it? Are they worth the investment? I don't know. The truth about idols is this, is that idols could be anything, anything that gets between you and God, good or bad. I think it's easy to point out the bad ones, like the, you're working too much, or you, you're, you have a substance issue, or like, you have these things, right? Nod your head if you're with me. You can point out the, the bad things are easy, but this is where I'm going to lose somebody in the room. The good things can be idols, too. Your child's success can be an idol. Your success at work can be an idol. Um, your health journey that you post online about on Instagram can be an idol. It's all good stuff, man. Like, of course you want your kids to succeed. And of course you want to do well with your work. And of course, like being healthy and, and championing that cause is a great idea. But if it gets between you and God, it's a freaking idol. It just is. I mean, think about this. Like, if, if you're putting your kid's success, let's just say like in sports or something, right? That's big in Lake Norman. If, you've, if, if your kid's travel soccer team is more important than you plugging them into a church to grow spiritually and be in community, it's an idol. If your health journey is more important and getting those miles in, in the morning is more important than you spending time in your Bible or you come to church more than once every eight weeks, it's an idol. It is. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it's an idol, and you have to address it. And that's the biggest thing, is that idols steal our attention. That's the whole point of them. They steal our attention away from God. Is it bad to want my children to succeed? No, but guess what? It's kind of temporary, because when I'm gone, it's dust. Now, I want to invest in that in balance, because like, you can do that in a healthy way, and it becomes a lasting and a fulfilling thing. A legacy of your children is a great thing, but when you hold it above the esteem of putting your child in the context of growing spiritually, it's an idol. And that idol will steal your attention away from what matters most, which is God. Now, the, the process that I, I was talking about with the Israelites kind of seeing God move and turning back, and I feel like we all experienced that to a degree because, we, remember, we talked about, you know, if I saw this, then no way I'd ever turn against God. I'd, I'd be so on fire and like, yeah, cool, but it's not true because it's not our experience. And I heard a pastor this week put a really great phrase to this idea, and, and I'm totally owning it because I think it's great. And he, he calls it, our problem is spiritual amnesia, okay? Spiritual amnesia. And the idea is that we forget what God's done in the face of something new that we're, we're going through, right? Like, you might have experienced God in the past, but this thing that's happening right now has all my attention. I don't know what to do. God, what should I do? And God's like, my name's a strong tower, like, you run to me. You know this. Like, you know what you're supposed to do. But we have spiritual amnesia and forget what he's done. I think the cycle kind of goes like this, to where you have that, that trial or issue where something happens, right? Something happens in your life. doesn't matter what it is. It could be you personally. It could be someone around you, whatever. Something happens. And then you, you pray. You turn your attention back to God because now you need something from him. 
right? So my attention gets pulled back, okay? And then the third part is God. God happens. Whatever he does, he does, right? He does something, and God moves, and you see a movement of God, and praise him, this is incredible, this happened. And then the next thing happens, which is like life, right? Life happens, and then you start to do this thing, or you just kind of drift, and your attention's not over here anymore because it doesn't need to be, and you're just, nod your head if you're with me. You kind of shift, and then step five is you repeat. Then the next thing happens, because guess what? Life leads to more trials and, and things like that happening, and then you come back to here. And because our attention isn't where it needs to be in the first place, we're subject to just rolling through this cycle of spiritual amnesia time and time again, and I firmly believe this is a work of the enemy, because the enemy cannot stop God from moving. The enemy cannot stop God from doing miracles and making lives change and doing works in this world. But what he can do is he can lie and he can have us to believe deception. And so if he allows us to believe, if we start to believe these lies of forgetting what God's done and fixing our attention on just the thing, on the thing we're going through or how we feel or any of that, uh, we shift our attention away from where we need to be in the first place, which is on God to love God first, to seek his kingdom first. If we're doing these things, our attention is going to be where it needs to be. It doesn't mean we need to ignore or totally put away our kids' sports or our health journey or job. All that is important and good. It's all about priorities. It's where you set it in order. You have to put first things first. And when we do that, it affects everything else. It affects everything else. So in life, it's, it's shifting that perspective from just moving from thing to thing, from temporary pleasure to temporary pleasure, to moving to living for the things that are lasting. Identifying those things in your life. What are the things that are, are, are lasting for you? What are the things that provide that fulfillment for you? They're rooted, guarantee you, they're rooted in a relationship with Christ. It's, it's all about choosing the lasting fulfillment over temporary pleasure. And, and a big part of that is just kind of identifying what you, where, where you are and where your thinking is and where your heart is. And uh, part of that's going to be what I'm calling the hypocrisy gap. And that's the difference between what you say and think and what you do. What you say and think and what you do. You might think and have all these plans about this one thing, but what you do could be totally different. And the reason that's important, and the reason you have to be honest about that is because you can say anything you want on social media or to your friends or to your spouse or to people close to you, but if you're not doing things to match what you're saying and thinking, you're not going to see that momentum. You're not going to see that change happen because it requires a response. God's going to work. Don't, don't worry about that. He's going to work, but in order for him to order your steps, you have to take the steps, Right? He can't just lay it out and you not do anything. We take steps based on what we think. And so we have, to, we have to close that hypocrisy gap of what we're saying and thinking versus what we're doing. And the reason that's important is because action, not intention, determines our direction. Action, not intention, determines our direction. If you're, if you're in a boat, right, and I'm over here and I'm in Lake Norman, I want to go over there, and I'm just like, oh, I really want to go over there and you're just thinking it, you're like, oh, I really want to go over there, I really want to go over there, you're not going to end up over there. You're, the water's just going to be floating, you're going to, keep, you're going to like end up like over here somewhere, and that's just how boats work, right? But if I were to, I don't know, turn the engine on, direct myself that way, correct as I'm going, I'm probably going to end up where I want to go because my action is helping to determine 
by direction. That's why it's important to close that hypocrisy gap between what we're saying and thinking and what we're going to actually do because action is going to determine our direction ultimately. Like for me personally, going back to that example of just scrolling on my phone, right? Like again, I don't really care about what's there, but I like to feel connected and, and it's just, it's, honestly, it's just a lazy, it's, it's, it's less about a, an active choice and more about that passive choice of the thing you just do out of habit, you know what I mean? And so what I've started to do, because I don't want my kids to grow up in a house where they remember their dad on their phone, like that sucks. That's not okay. We're not going to do that in this house. So what I'm choosing to do is I'm making a choice towards lasting fulfillment by when I walk in my house, I'm trying to go straight up to my room, plug my phone in, and walk away. Because if it's not in my hand, I can't do that. Do you see that? Again, it's not about tips and tricks and things like that. It's about paying attention to what are the idols I'm putting in my life, what are the things that I'm building up in my life, and then actively choosing against them, actively choosing to lay them down. Because if I don't do that, I'm going to hang on to them because it leads me towards temporary pleasure. Those idols are always going to draw you in that direction. So you, we have to not only take them, we have to identify our idols. That's an action step that I want you to do this week. Take five minutes, even this afternoon, and just think and be honest. Be honest. What are the potential idols in your life? List them out so that we might lay them down. Because if you don't, you're just going to hold on to them. You're going to collect more and more. That's the thing about idols is they love company. You'll just keep adding the next thing, adding the next thing. And then by the end of it, you know you're holding an armful of stuff, living in temporary pleasure when you could be living a life of lasting fulfillment. And you need to listen to me here. This is not about trying harder or being a better version of yourself. Being a better version of a dead person is still a dead person. Like, it's not good. It's not good. This isn't meant to be like a pep rally for what you're going to do in 2020, how you're going to be proactive and get your priorities straight and rah, rah, and all that. This is more meant to be a funeral, a funeral for yourself to die to yourself, to pick up the resurrection power of Christ in your life because he died not to give you life to the meh or not to give you life to the temporary. He died to give you life to the full. That is what your intention and that is what your destiny is, is to live in a life that provides lasting fulfillment. But if you're having a hard time breaking down what does this look like in my life, and I, I, Chris, I don't know, I mean, like, can I do this soccer thing, or can I do this whatever my kids, or with work, and still not be an idol, just ask yourself this clarifying question. Does blank, does this thing bring me closer to Jesus? And without any work, the answer is probably no, if you're not thinking about it, you're not working towards that. But I know a lot of people who have coached their kids' teams or who have been a great parent support for that. In the, I'm just kind of riding that train. Who have done that, and it's made them closer to Jesus because of the intentionality they've put into it. They've turned a thing that was temporary pleasure and moved it over to lasting fulfillment because they put first things first. Do you see that? They put the relationship with Christ in front of that, which is the lens through now they see their kid's soccer team. It's an opportunity to talk to the kids to and from practice. It's an opportunity to minister to the other parents just by being a Christian and walking your life alongside them. It's all those opportunities. That opportunity can be something that can bring you closer to Jesus. It just takes intentionality. It takes action. We can shift our attention from the things that are of temporary pleasure to the things that are lasting fulfillment. It just takes a little bit of intentionality to just make that shift. And again, he died so that we might have life to the full, and he provides a way for us. Again, in John 15, don't forget, if you, forget, if you take anything away from us, take this. 
This is lasting fulfillment. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you. If, we, if you give me your attention and we stay in this place together where we're, where we're in relationship, where you put me first, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. We will shift our thinking. We'll shift our understanding. We will love God first. We will seek his kingdom first. Our attention will be where it needs to be the whole time. So we will not experience spiritual amnesia because when the trials hit, our attention's already on him. I don't want a life for you that is temporary pleasure. That is just from quick hit to quick hit to quick hit because that is empty, guys. That is hitting sugar rush after sugar rush and crashing every single time. I want you to live a life fulfilled of lasting fulfillment. And the way that we do that is if we remain in him, he promises to remain in us because he is faithful. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you provide clear direction for us. God, I ask that you would help us to, to love you first, to do the work to seek your kingdom first, God. To give us clarity in, in, in seeing what our idols are, what, what are the things we put in front of you, the good and the bad. God, that you would help us to root out the bad things and that you would help us to uh, shift our understanding of the good things. God, that you would, you would allow us to fix our eyes on you, fix our attention on you, God, so that we might become more and more like you. God, help us to put first things first, to do the hard work to identify what matters to you, to change our hearts so that we would matter to us as well. God, we love you and we thank you for, for all this, for your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.